Well, I forgot to mention that if you needed to grab a Bible, feel free to do that. We have quite a long passage tonight, so you might want to have a Bible. In fact, um, I'll put John on the spot. If you need a Bible, John will bring you one. Go ahead and put your hand up, and he'll, he'll grab one for you if you want one. Because tonight we're going to continue, um, continue the discussion that we had this morning. Um, if you remember, if you were here this morning, we, we started with John 14, which is the beginning of, of the discussion that Jesus had with his disciples up in that upper room and the teaching that he gave them um, on the night that he was about to be betrayed. Uh, that was the very beginning of that discussion. Tonight we're going to go to the end of that discussion. He wraps up his time there with the disciples in that upper room and then heads out, um, heads out to be betrayed and to be arrested and ultimately to be crucified. And that, that's going to come in John chapter 17. That's the passage you might want to turn to. Um, it's going to be a few minutes before we read that passage together, but you want to put your finger there in John 17. Um, this is the end of the conversation, and what we get here in John 17 is something we don't get a lot of in the Bible. We get a chance to hear Jesus pray. We have other prayers of Jesus, but none this long and this in-depth. We get to listen in as God talk, as Jesus talks to his Father, which is a, a real treat and a real treasure and a powerful thing. I think we might be surprised at what he prays for at this moment before he goes out to be crucified. And I think in order, to, in order to fully understand what Jesus is praying for here, we need, first of all, to place this prayer in the context of his whole purpose and reason for entering in this world. So we need to spend a few moments before we read it thinking back to the purpose of why Jesus came. Why did, why did God send his son? Why did Jesus come? Well, think back to me to probably the most popular verse in all of Scripture, my guess is you can recite it with me, right? In every football game, there's a sign, right, that says John 3.16. Can you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, a little different versions here and there, but, uh, but same story. Let me, let me read on just the rest of that paragraph from John 3.16. Because that verse is exactly... Um, exactly the summary of Jesus' purpose, but he goes on and he says this. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Again and again, right here in this paragraph where Jesus is talking about, here's my purpose, here's why I came. He does it again and again throughout scriptures, throughout the gospels. He, he talks about light. He compares himself to light. He just says the light has come into the world. It's an image Jesus loves to use. He identifies himself as the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world, shining in the darkness, right? Into the brokenness and ugliness of sin in this world, Jesus is the light. And Jesus makes it clear here, the purpose of this light. He came for darkness. He came because of darkness. He didn't come, Jesus didn't come only for those who believe. Jesus did not come only for those who gather in church buildings like us on Sundays. Jesus didn't come just for you and for me. He came for that world out there. He came as a doctor to heal the sick. Jesus 
is committed to the dark world all around us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I think we forget that sometimes, how much God loves that world. He loves those of us who love him, and he loves those who don't love him. He's absolutely in love with the people who choose to ignore his grace. God is absolutely in love with the people who despise him and reject him, who deny his very existence. He's in love with those people who use and abuse his goodness and his grace. He loves them dearly. God is so completely committed to this world because he has a dream for this whole world. I think when God looks at this world he created, he he can't help but see the sin running rampant through it. He sees the evil. He sees the destruction. He sees all the harm we do to each other and to his world. But I think he also remembers back when his great creation was perfect. He remembers back to the time when he looked at it all and he said, this is good. And he longs to have that kind of relationship again with this world. And so he sees not only back to what this world once was, but he sees also forward to see what's to come. He sees the new earth that's going to be created. It's going to be renewed. He sees the day when, when sin is completely defeated. He sees the day when this great creation is again set in perfect harmony with him. God's in the process of making that dream come true. So Jesus makes it clear to Nicodemus. He makes it clear to us. He says, make sure you know this. I did not come into the world for the purpose of punishing it. Right? Verse 17 that we just read, that we just heard, says that God did not send the Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save it. We, I think we do a good enough job of condemning ourselves already. That's already done. What this world needs is hope. That's exactly why God sent Jesus. He sent the light of his grace into the darkness. Light into darkness. I've used this illustration before, but it's just so perfect. Any of you been to Mammoth Cave before? Some of you have probably experienced it. If you've been to Mammoth Cave, I bet they do it to every group that comes through. I can remember being there as a kid, and uh, you go down into the cave, and there's plenty of lighting all around, and you hike down into the cave, and when we were there, at least, uh, we entered into this great, there's a huge chasm in there, a huge room down in the middle. I don't know what you call it. It's not a room, but the big cave part. And um, all of a sudden, they flicked off all the lights. Now, if you're scared of the dark, that's the last place in the world you want to be. Because it was so, anybody remember? It was so pitch black. You, you had no idea where your nose was. You had no idea where any, and your eyes couldn't adjust to anything because there was no light whatsoever. If you're claustrophobic, worst place in the world for you. Don't go. Okay? And, and, then, and then our tour guide lit one torch, one lamp, and the whole room lit up. Just with, with one light. And that image, I can't help but picture that. Jesus, the light of the world, coming into the darkness. This world that's just shrouded with sin, covered with sin and brokenness. And into this world comes the light, Jesus, that one torch that one torch that gives the dazzling light, that, that gives you then direction to make the way clear. Now the light has come and it illuminates the path to forgiveness. It illuminates the path to God's grace. It illuminates the path to salvation. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And now, here comes the twist. To those of us who have seen the light, to those of us who follow that light, who have accepted the light of Jesus into our souls, into our hearts, Jesus looks at us and he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So on one hand, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he turns it around and says, hey, all of you, you are now the light of the world. The whole picture gets turned around, right? Jesus hands the torch to us. He says, there, it's your light now. No, you are the light of the world. Okay, that process is exactly what Jesus is praying for here in John chapter 17. This is Jesus' final prayer with his followers. When he's finished praying this prayer, at the end of this chapter, he's going to head out. He's going to go to the garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested, and the process of his death is going to begin. And in this prayer, like a, like a relay runner passing the baton, Jesus hands the light to us. Okay, first, start start at the beginning. First, knowing what's about to come, Jesus prays for himself. Just read the first five verses to start. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had had with you before the world began. This is the moment, Jesus knows this is the moment he came for. He's about to open the door to eternal life. He's about to make a way out of the darkness and into the light. And for this home stretch, when he knows the temptations for him will be real, right? he doesn't want to die. And think about his prayer. He's going to pray in Gethsemane in just a few moments. He's going to say, Father, if there's any other way, please, please, I don't want to, I don't want to have to die. So he prays for himself. Father, give me the strength. Take me through the home stretch. Let me glorify you. But that's not the heart of his prayer. It's not the heart of this chapter. The heart of his prayer is is for what happens after he has fulfilled that purpose. The heart of his prayer is for us, for you and me. He starts with this praying for the small band of believers around him. Listen to his prayer for his disciples. Go on in verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Then he goes on. He looks beyond that circle of disciples in that room And Jesus, as only he can do, sees through all time and place, and he sees you, and he sees me, and he prays for the rest of us. Read on. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I, may, I myself may be in them. Okay, so the time for Jesus to go has come. He's going to go out of this world. And he recognizes that he's leaving us behind, his followers. And he is not leaving us behind simply to mark time until he comes back again. Simply to to twiddle our thumbs and wait. He's leaving us behind to continue his purpose. Right, Verse 18 we just read is a powerful assignment to you and to me. Jesus looks, looks at his disciples straight in the eye, and he's looking at us too. And he says, as God sent me into the world, I have sent you. That makes John 3.16 our verse. God so loved the world that he sent us. He's sending us. He sent his son, and he's sending us. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to go out into that dark world as bearers of the light of salvation, bringing that that burst of grace, that burst of salvation that drives away the darkness of sin. God has raised the standard of commitment that he expects us to have to this world around us. He expects his believers, his children, to be plunging into that darkness with his light. That's natural. That's normal for those who are living the Christian life. That means that we cannot live in in this Christian fortress. We cannot insulate ourselves 
as a Christian family. God doesn't give us permission to hide from the darkness of the world, to run away from it, and to hide ourselves here until Jesus comes again. No. Jesus' final prayer, his desire, his passion, the purpose he lays out for us is to get out of this building and and to get out of the safety of our Christian fortresses and to go out into this world and to boldly go into the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it means to be reformed, isn't it? All of life, we bring Jesus to change all of this world, not a square inch that doesn't belong to him, that we are going to go illuminate with the truth and the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. That means we share the same passion that Jesus had. It means we love the world the same way that God loves this world. Do we? Are we completely in love with people who don't know God? Do we love the people who don't go to church? Do we love the people whose lives look very different than ours? Do we love them like God does? Do our hearts break when we see people stumbling through a life darkened by sin or do we stand back and judge them? Do we even see the people around us? Do we even think about them, let alone love them? If we aren't loving this world around us with the same kind of love that God has for them, then we've dropped that torch. We've dropped the the light that Jesus handed to us and we've let that light go out. As bearers of the light, it means that we are not satisfied to let the world stay the way that it is. Instead, we have a dream. We share God's dream for what this world could be and is going to be. It means we aren't a... We aren't satisfied to allow Satan to keep control where he has it. We aren't satisfied to allow injustice to go unchecked. We strive for justice instead. We aren't satisfied to have neighbors who who don't know God. We aren't satisfied with, you know, 50% of Granville is is saved, which is a great number, but it's way too low. We aren't satisfied. We're going to tell the truth of Jesus. We aren't satisfied with anybody who's suffering all alone. Instead, we care for them in Jesus' name. We aren't satisfied with anything that Satan has put his stamp of sin on. Instead, we keep the new creation in our sights. And we strive to reach that goodness, that perfection here on this earth. We live by a new standard, a godly standard. And if we don't have a holy dissatisfaction with the ways of this world, then we have dropped the torch that Jesus handed off to us. And we've let that light go out. Being a bearer of the light into this dark world means that we dare to take a risk. Remember we talked about that this morning. Jesus did not say that living according to his purpose would be simple and easy. He said just the opposite. Into this world you will have trouble. If you are a bearer of the light, this world is going to fight against you. It's going to push against you. And it's going, to be, it's going to be difficult. But that's why we go with his power, with his promises, right? We must dare to step out into that world, even though it would be easier just to insulate ourselves and mark time until he comes back again. Because the light needs to go into the darkness if it's really going to mean anything if it's going to make any difference. If we just get together and shine our lights 
within the walls of this church building on Sundays, we really aren't doing any good, are we? Lights find their value in the darkness. So I brought my flashlight with me, my nice little powerful mag light. I can turn it on in here and shine around, and nobody really sees where this light is shining. It's not making much of a difference at all because this room is bright. We don't need a flashlight. This light doesn't have much power to it. If I were to turn off all the lights in this building, you'd be arm wrestling me for this flashlight before you stub your toe, before you break your nose. Because suddenly in the darkness, this light finds its value. So what good is it for us to shine our lights in this room with everybody else who's already shining their light? God, I mean, I shouldn't say what good is it. God loves it when we praise him, when we glorify him, when we give him thanks. He loves this room illuminated to his glory. And then he loves it when that light stays lit, when we walk out of here. When we walk into the darkness of this world with his light shining. That's why Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. It's a prayer of protection for you and for me. He starts by praying protection for himself. Father, protect me. He's not saying protect me, stop me from, from dying. Protect me as I live out your purpose, that I will continue to live out that purpose. He prays protection for himself. He prays protection for his disciples. He prays protection for you and for me. Protection not in the sense of hiding ourselves away to carefully preserve us, which is often what we think protection is, right? We protect things, we put them in the safe, hide them away. Nothing can ever get to them. That's not the kind of protection he's praying for. He's praying for protection for us as he sends us out to be used in this world, as he sends us out to follow his footsteps to fulfill his father's purpose. As you have sent me into this world, Jesus prays, I have sent them into this world to let this world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's the message we have to bring. That's the light of hope that we get to bring to this world. Jesus, the light of the world, has handed that torch to us. You, are the light of the world. And God will protect that light. He will let that light shine if we dare to follow in his footsteps and say, I will be the bearer of the light of hope to this dark world. Let's pray together for those opportunities. Jesus, what an honor that at this moment, at the very end of your life, when you are about to die on this cross and make the ultimate sacrifice, that you had us in mind, that you were thinking of each person in this room and you were praying for us. Thank you for the privilege of being a bearer of the light. Sometimes it seems like a burden. Sometimes we would like to just stay insulated, hidden away. Yet that's not why you have empowered us. That's not why you've handed the light to us. We celebrate that that your light has entered into our hearts and souls and set us free. And now we take up your calling to go and be your light into the world around us. And so I'm confident that sometime this week, in some way, you are going to give us the opportunity to shine the light of your grace and your love 
into someone else's life. Maybe it's a a word spoken. Maybe it's a, a gracious act given. Maybe it's forgiveness granted. I don't know what it is, but you're gonna give us a chance to shine the light of your life into this dark world. Give us the courage, Jesus, to let that light shine brightly for your glory and for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing together an old song, one that talks about shining lights. I love to tell the story. I hope that that it's something you love to do, that when Jesus gives you that opportunity we just prayed for, you'll say, oh, good. Thank you, God, for this chance to tell your story. Let's sing together.